0: Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host or your hostess and your guide. And remember, my job is to help you get off the brink. And I'm always delighted to find people who can do just that. Our job is to help you see things through a fresh lens. So I don't really care where you are, how good you think you are, there's new stuff coming that you need to be aware of because the times, they are fast changing. And if you haven't noticed, the skills that worked before this pandemic may not be so good during it. But afterwards, it could be absolutely wonderful. And we're all looking for the post-COVID, post-normal, new normal world that's coming. So today, I have with me a wonderful man, Ale Pumpkins, who is a terrific individual who is going to talk to you about something important to us, leadership. And you're going to say, really? I said, yes. There's no shortage of books on leadership. If you Google leadership, there's probably 4 million different items there. We're going to talk a little bit about followership as well, but by and large, it has become an area of great concern. Now, I have two leadership academies that I'm doing, and so bringing a line here to you is extremely valuable to me and to my clients, but I'd like you to begin to understand some fresh ways of thinking about what's a leader, how do you do it, what are the right ways to do it, why do you get tangled in what you used to do, so I'm very excited. Elaine, thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you Andy. It's my pleasure to be with you today. I'm really excited for our conversation.
0: Let me tell our listeners a little bit about you and then you can tell them about yourself. Elaine Honkins helps high-achieving people become high-achieving leaders. I think high-achieving is interesting as if there's a benchmark to reach and or a standard to curl over. Over his 20-year career, he's worked with over 2,000 groups of leaders in 25 countries. Clients include Walmart, Pfizer, Citigroup, General Electric, State Farm Insurance, IBM. Impressive. And you're going to be impressed as well. In addition to being a leadership speaker, a consultant, a trainer, and a coach, he's the author of a new book called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. Don't miss the three. You're going to hear a lot of threes because I think he's brought this down into manageable chunks that you're going to enjoy. It was endorsed by the leadership luminaries such as Barry Posner and Marshall Goldsmith. He's a faculty member of the Duke Corporate Education, and his writing has been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Chief Executive Magazine, which is great, Chief Learning Officer, and Business Insider. So we're going to talk today about cracking the leadership code, but first we're going to talk to Alat to tell us about who he is and why this is such an interesting part of his own personal journey. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Andy. Yeah. So interesting. So as we think back, you know, everything looks like a straight line from hindsight, but like going through the process. And if I look at the core theme, the thread for me as to why is leadership so important? To me, at its core, leadership is about relationships. In fact, leadership is a relationship between a person who wishes to lead and a person who chooses to follow. And as I think about people and the people who have influenced me, I have to go back to my origin story, which is about my family of origin. And I had a fairly unique childhood. So I grew up in New York City not in unique, it's raised by a single mom and a grandma, not necessarily unique as well. The unique part is the fact that both my mother and my grandmother are Holocaust survivors. My mother was born in 1935. And so at the age of seven, until she was 10 and a half, she was taken and put in hiding through the Belgian underground to keep her safe through World War II. And her mother was actually imprisoned, arrested, brought to a concentration camp, and actually liberated right at the end of the war. And they were thankfully, miraculously reunited while most of the rest of the family perished. And as you can imagine, going through that kind of traumatic experience completely shaped their worldview. And my mom and my dad split up when I was one year old and my grandmother moved in. So these are my two primary parents from any conscious memory. And that experience of being at home was so different than my experience of let's say going to new york city public school or going to my friends houses and so i think for me there was that you know that cognitive dissonance i was trying to make sense of my own existence my own world And trying to realize that this was my first organization that I was an employee in, as it were, right? So I'm part of this. And how do I make this work? And so that's what got me interested in people. And also because there was this veil of melancholy that wasn't that veiled. I became, you know, people describe me as an old soul at the age of six, because when you're around that, you're trying to notice things. And so my antenna for people and reading that was very high from an early age. So I st- ended up studying psychology. I ended up going to drama school. I, got, I spent three years training as a professional actor. So I kind of worked from the inside out in terms of being a character. And then I got involved in doing educational training and facilitation, as well as doing a lot of personal development work, because I had a lot of stuff to work through. I had a lot of issues. And that you know, and I really am a firm believer that all professional development begins and ends with personal development. So that to me led to wanting to, as I started to notice how empowered I felt doing my own growth development journey, how I wanted to give back to other people and use all of this sensitivity and the intuition and bring it. and that's what got me involved with wanting to help others. And I end up working with groups, which led to the writing of this book and why we're having this conversation here today.
0: Well. I must tell you that the podcast that I've been doing, everyone tells a story that goes back to some kind of a family ground that may or may not be exactly what has transformed them or led them to where they are. To your point, we were talking before we started about our memories. We have a story in our mind that becomes who we are and we live that story. And I'm fascinated that you went into the acting part because part of it was finding how to articulate and live your story in a way that gave you not just melancholy, but pleasure. Well, this is very interesting. And I thank you for sharing that because I would never be able to know who you were or the grounding, but it sounds like looking at the smile on your face. Uh, It was both a challenge and an opportunity to begin to build who you are and where you're going. So as you began to develop this, you can talk about the book in a moment, but I have a hunch that you learned a lot as you were working with companies. You work with large companies across the globe. You know, What were some of the insights that began to trigger who you are and where you were going? Because it's a combination of personal and professional, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, so for me, like thinking about both doing the work with companies as well as doing my own work, which was going on at the same time. One of the things, and you talked about this, is that we tell ourselves these stories. And I find that as one continues and I certainly as I continued my own work was to start to recognize that the story was a story it wasn't the story and learning how to hold these stories more lightly enables you to start to tell other stories or to start to recognize that let's say I'm at the time 35 years old instead of me having this framework of I'm this way because my mother and my grandmother right which is like That's a very causal, effectual, linear thinking way of thinking versus this is a story that served me for some time, and now I'm going to choose to find a different story that serves me in a different way. And I think that's very much the growth mindset in action. And so what I'm fascinated by are the leaders that I see, and when I define leadership, I don't define it as a job title, by the way, just to clear the air on that one. It's really anytime time that any of us are trying to influence anyone else to get anything done, that's leadership, right? So it's a very broad tent. And so as I think about what the leaders, what they do well, it's that ability to hold themselves lightly enough to engage in that growth mindset, to be curious, and to continue to learn. Because that seems to me that is the quintessential 21st century skill, is the ability to keep learning how to learn.
0: It sounds like, though, you collaborated with your mind, and I do a lot of of talking and, and research on this, to change the story. You imagined something else that was a new story, And we can talk about that as a whole other podcast, trust me. But in the process, this area of leadership became the one that you have focused on. And I'm curious, how did that become the focus of your focus? Um, Because you are intuitively, it looks, it sounds like a leader, influencing others to embrace your ideas and follow in some fashion. So let's talk about how the book came about. And and then we'll talk about what's inside, because it's very valuable for our listeners. Is that okay? Sure, of
1: course. Yeah, so for me, I I got interested in leadership because I think initially I was a traditional high performer. I was a good student in school. I graduated as my high school valedictorian. I I checked all the boxes. And so I thought, well, this is what leadership is about, high performance. And as I continued along, you know, when you're in let's say a school track where there's a very clear set of do this, follow this, get this grade, that works. And then at a certain point, the rules of the game change. In fact, the entire game changes. And then suddenly it isn't a bunch of box to check off anymore. And then <laughs> it isn't about the ability to get things done. It's not just about, I got things done. I'm a high performer. Suddenly it becomes, oh, well, where's my network? And have I even spent time building a network? You know, and so, And what are my connections with other people? How much have I engaged with them? And so much of the work around leadership goes beyond what you might think of as the content, right? The content of the work. And are you good at this particular skill? So there's this huge gap between being this high performer and then the ability to facilitate high performance in others. Because ultimately, leadership isn't about you, the leader. It's about how are you helping others to grow their abilities? Because if they succeed, you succeed. I mean, that's all contingent on each other. So for me, it was really, I got interested in this, because what I saw was, and as I got more in, involved and started doing research and just intuitively, I understood that leaders don't just make a difference. They are the difference. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen the studies Like Gallup did some studies that said, you know, 70%, you, you study culture. So, you know, 70% of the variance between lousy, good and great culture is directly attributable to that culture's leader. So intuitively, I mean, we're tribal animals. We look to our leaders, you know, much in the same way that a chimpanzee might look to the alpha in the group every 30, 60 seconds, like make sure they're okay. We look to our leaders to set the tone consciously and unconsciously. And so for me, that was, that was too great an offering to pass up to not want to study. So that's what really got me involved and interested in the subject at large.
0: We can go in many directions. I really want to focus a little bit on the work you're doing around empathy. If Daniel Goldman is right, um, we can talk a lot about his work, but the empathy that so many people don't understand that separates a great leader, his his or her ability to feel somebody else's, be self-regulating, understand the social context. As a cultural anthropologist, it's a different view of the world than a good manager. And often we're teaching managers to become leaders and sometimes they can't figure out the new language. But it's a different set of skills Um, and there are different kinds of leaders as well. I'll come back to that in a moment. But let's talk about what is a quality of a leader that separates them out, that makes that great business thrive. Well,
1: you know, as you're talking about empathy, I think it starts with that. I mean, to me, empathy forms the basis of connection and the challenge that I think uh, as people hear that, they go, Of course, I understand. I've heard of emotional intelligence. At this point, it's sort of it's enough of a buzzword that people get it conceptually. Yes. The real challenge the, the real challenges in our very fast-paced, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world that we live in is that showing people that you care how they feel takes time, right? Information can travel at the speed of light, but human relationships move much more slowly. And there's a time and a place to go fast, but there's a time and a place to go slow. And leadership wisdom is knowing which one do you do when? And so often what gets short shrift is the people factor, because the key to all of it to me is you've got to prioritize the people before the project. Like, let's establish the rapport, build the trust first, and then we'll go ahead and achieve whatever wonderful thing we're going to do that's going to be a product or service that's going to help the world. But let's get the people part first right. And I think it's a question of priorities because most leaders aren't skilled in that way. They're uncomfortable with that. Plus, many of us, and especially if you're of a certain age, you may have grown up in a workplace where you heard things like, we have a check your feelings at the door policy. So this whole idea of bringing yourself to your whole self to work and psychological safety, I mean, these terms have not been in the general vernacular for more than 15, 20 years at most, if that much. And so, and it's a funny thing because if you stop and think about this idea of, you know, we have a check your feelings at the door policy, you can't, actually check feelings at the door. At best, what you do is you suppress your feelings at the door, (laughs) which is precisely what happens in a lot of places where people don't feel safe bringing their whole selves to work. I mean, Deloitte did this wonderful study a few years ago, and they found that in the U.S. workforce, 61% of people feel uncomfortable being truly who they are because they're concerned there's going to be a career-limiting move. And as we all know, when you feel like you have to put on a front, it's very hard to really perform, and be at your best?
0: You mean you don't want to be an actor and actress all day long, pretending you're somebody else? No, no. You could, but it isn't a stage. It is a stage. We can talk about changing those roles. But it's interesting because as I'm teaching the Leadership Academy, um, we use the uh, Organizational Culture Assessment Instrument developed at University of Michigan. And I'm licensed with the folks in the, the Netherlands. And and I'm using it actually with a new client coming in, another healthcare client. But there are four kinds of cultures, and the leadership ties in interesting ways to those. One is the command and control hierarchical culture. And there's a place for that. There aren't any bad cultures or bad leadership styles. They're more or less effective, but you got to know what it is that you're doing. And command and control, think of the military. You know, I tell you to do it, you better, you know, get it done. When I said, by when. The opposite is very entrepreneurial very visionary, very creative, very empowering. You can almost feel the difference in the styles of how you embrace and engage in one, and you demand and you command in the other. And then the other two, one is very competitive, and they are out there to build that market. I had a commodities trader as a client, and they made a lot of money, but they never got along. They didn't create anything, and they followed the rules, of course, but man, they were competing for every last dollar. That algorithmic trading was their, their lifeblood. And then there are family firms who are very clannish and collaborative. And the leadership in each of these is very different. I've had family firms with 49 family members in them. And I remember the 49. And they are all concerned about each other, but nothing often gets done. So you get the ones who get a lot done, but don't get along. And those who get along, but don't get much done. And then you have those who command and control and process rules, rules, rule. And the others is very visionary. Yet, depending on the situation, any of those could be appropriate for a particular organization at a particular time. So part of the things we're teaching is how to be adaptive and use the right tools at the right time. Some insights you could bring to this. I mean, I, I, I preach it because um, there are times where things are falling apart, like the COVID period, where you're going to have to just take charge, mm-hmm. or you're just going to have to try and find an innovative way to solve it. And those are important skills. Some thoughts,
1: yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the the challenge, I think, as we look at these leadership styles, and they certainly, usually they're painted in a two-by-two two matrix because we love those things, right? We kind of hear the style and people, people love that. And like, oh, look... And the danger with any of these is that we start to, whether it's leadership styles or a personality assessment like a disc or a Myers Briggs, is that we start to see them as crutches or labels. Like they become these static fixed things, like, oh, well, you have to understand I don't do that because I'm an introvert. And introvert, (laughs) you know, as opposed to, no, this is a preference. And yes, you can stretch outside of your preference. That means it's easy or you can default more naturally to this. So as we think about these leadership styles, I think what's important, as you mentioned so well, Andy, is that it's contextual. And that as we want to grow our leadership skill, we have to grow our leadership flexibility to flex our style appropriately. And obviously, Ken Blanchard wrote about this in situational leadership. But this, this sense of how can we embrace these different things and embrace paradox, right? Again, culturally speaking, we we love our answers. We love our black and white, you know, What's, you know, good and bad, right and wrong, as right. opposed to. You know, looking for the both and and the, you know, as opposed to the either or. And yes, there's a time and a place for this, and there's a time and a place for that. And you know, what we tend to want to do on the receiving end is we want to say, so Andy, so what do you do? And then you tell me what you did, and I write it down. And it's like, great, I now have I the answer. <laughs> it's like, that's not the answer, it's an answer. And that was an answer that worked once well,
0: in you know, a that worked- situation.
1: That's right. In that situation to a certain extent. And no, so for me, it's really, that's why I feel like I traffic in principles and it's important to understand all these principles, take a look at what gets in the way of practicing those principles and how do you then turn those principles into specific behaviors and work on building habits of behaviors every day. So for example, we know that for going back to empathy, if you want to develop empathy with other people, being curious and listening to them and asking open-ended questions is a great skill to have. So are you on a regular basis asking people open-ended questions? And more importantly, are you shutting up long enough to listen to their answers, right? Without trying to, so that's a skill that should be like any other muscle exercised a few times a week, if not more. So this is what for me is key is like, yes, you have these different concepts, but break them down to these behaviors and look for Ways to practice and making these habits because ultimately, you know, again, like I said, I come from the performing arts, right? So I was an actor. Before that, I was a violinist. And in the performing arts, what you do is you rehearse these things. If you want to be a great performer, you practice your fundamentals every single day. And you know, there's a great story about the pianist Arthur Rubinstein, who said, like, he said, you know, he was a world famous pianist. He said, if I don't practice for a day, I notice said, if I don't practice for two days, my wife notices. If I don't practice for five days, the orchestra notices. And if I don't practice for two weeks, the world notices. So it's, again, it's those subtle distinctions for us to start thinking about how do we practice what we do.
0: Now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. Simon Associates is us. And we love to help you see, feel, and think in new ways to help you and your business grow. We specialize in applying the tools and methods of anthropology, but we're also entrepreneurs and business builders, and we like to share our experience and expertise with you. So if you're stalled or stuck or starting up, give us a buzz and let's see if we can help you as well. You can learn all about us at simonassociates.net and read my book, Learn About It at andysimon.com. There's a free chapter you can download and a toolkit you'll find very helpful. We're on Amazon, and you can buy it as a book, an ebook, or even an audible that I recorded myself. We look forward to hearing from you at simonassociates.net. Info at simonassociates.net is right to us. Now back to our podcast. You know you talk about the habits, and I want to stay there for a moment because um, we're habit-driven creatures. What you're talking about is um, honing new habits, getting rid of bad habits. One of which is is listening. Um, I a, have a hunch there are other habits that you want us to now embrace because you're going to replace one with the other, I hope. Are there some you want to share?
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the keys—I love this topic of habit formation. I'm I'm really into this now because there's great new science that's coming out that's supporting this. So the first thing around habit formation is, first of all, and this is true not just habit formation but of leadership development—is don't think of this as a solo, solitary act. Like the more that you can get support and get a a core to support a community working at these things with you, as opposed to I'm the leader, I've got to figure this out myself. So that's one thing. In terms of habits, I mean, I think one habit. You know, it's it. This is such a leadership development superfood. It's gratitude, right? And so, I pra- love
0: that. Yes,
1: you know, because you think about it, it's very. In fact, it's physically impossible to ha- feel grateful and feel lack at the same time, right? You just can't, those two things don't jive. So if you just stop and reflect on what am I grateful for? And then even better as a leader is express that gratitude to the people and and things around you is to really get that out there. It makes a difference. So that's just a simple thing that you can do to start to cultivate this habit of gratitude. And and, and the other thing around that is this, and this is a close cousin of gratitude is appreciation, Mm -hmm. is when you see someone doing something, you know, it's amazing how many people think, Oh, you know, I really appreciate Andy's for doing this. Well, are you telling Andy this and either in word or in writing or in some action, can you let her know? Because, you know, I think otherwise there's so much care and concern and I'll go so far as to say love that stays trapped inside of us. And I think, you know, someone wrote a book about leadership called love is the killer app. And you think about it, you know, we will all do so much more for the people that we love. You think about the sacrifices that people make for the people they love. And if you can bring that sense of generosity and love to your leadership, just think about the level of commitment and connection that you can make with the people that choose to follow you.
0: Well, it sort of leads to my question about compassionate leadership. And about a decade ago, compassion and conscious organization became in vogue. Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming not only in vogue, but spreading. I hope it doesn't go away because compassion is different than empathy and different than sympathy. But if you add them together, that love quotient that you're talking about is seeing something and doing something about it, not just seeing it and saying, I feel your pain, but let me see how I can help you. You want to share some of your thoughts on compassionate leadership?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the sense of and, uh, empathy is only useful as a trigger to start to take some kind of action in things. And, and I realize, you know, as we're talking about compassion and empathy and passionate and love, you know, I got and I grew up in New York City. So I've got this like died in the wool New York Cynic. So I'm imagining being a fly in the wall, listening to our own conversation, Andy, and going, Oh my gosh, this is so touchy feely. Oh my come on, I got a business to run here. So I want to add something else into the mix with this because yes, compassion is important and as opposed to, but, and realizing to make all this work in a context where, yes, we do have results to deliver, clarity of expectations is so important. And to have these open, honest conversations about so, what are we going to do if we don't succeed? What are we going to do if we do succeed? You know, so that it doesn't we don't pretend like this stuff doesn't happen because otherwise, you know, I'm not a big fan of saying our organization is like a family, like we're not a family, right? So if your family isn't performing, you don't fire them and put them on furlough. Like, (laughs) you know, we can be a community of people who support each other, but we're not a family in the organization. And I think having compassion, having care, having love is all great. And one of the things that can be really helpful To help all of us is clarity on expectations, on boundaries, on understanding what are the rules of engagement? How are we going to work together? Because without that, it just becomes a very big amorphous blob. And then somebody's pleased with this, someone else is displeased by that. And then, you know, think, but I thought I was being this caring leader. It's like (laughs) people actually prefer clarity. You know, clarity is key, which is why after connection, I, I write about communication, because creating clarity is so important to be able to actually produce some kind of end result that we're trying to create in all this.
0: And, but of course, the clarity comes with accountability. Exactly. And so results aren't inconsequential just because we're compassionate leaders and and empathetic towards our folks. We gotta run a business and we yeah. have to have the clarity you're referring to about what we're going to achieve for ourselves and our clients and each other, we're responsible and then be accountable to actually deliver on it. And sometimes even compassion can come into bad situations where you have to um, review somebody in an unpleasant fashion because they aren't accountable and aren't delivering. But how we talk to each other, the communication side can turn lemons into lemonade because you want in a feedback for the person to hear what you're saying and not to immediately reject it tell you you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, you want really to get some kind of a thing going through here. Now, you also talk about collaboration, and that has become, I don't want to say cliche, but I am very intrigued by how women lead, and I, my new book, there's a chapter that women can't lead, they're not decisive. Well, they're very collaborative, and the woman that I use as an illustration, Jamie Candy, I know quite well, and her leadership style was extremely collaborative compassionate but very hard driving and very focused. She had three goals and we knew it was all about the students and we watched her folks line up and really couldn't do enough So it's an interesting time for collaboration to become the topic of conversation. Your perspective on it.
1: Yeah. So collaborate. I mean, I love the fact that you you talked about the fact that she was collaborative and hard charging and driving results. Why not do both? Absolutely. Collaboration doesn't mean that we don't care about results. So To me, collaboration is understanding if we're working at a group endeavor, which most of us are in some kind of a team or organization how are we gonna get the most out of this? That is out of the most out of the result as well as have people energized and engaged and rewarded in the process at the same time. And that's what to me collaboration at its heart is about. And if you look at the studies, more and more people are working in teams or multiple teams more of the time. And I think that with technology, that is just gonna continue. So understanding how humans are wired to collaborate both poorly or well. And so in my thinking and my writing, I've boiled it down to that there's four essential needs that humans need to have met in order to collaborate well. The first is that we all have a need for safety. Obviously, there's the physical level of safety, so which is why people are working at a distance right now in the middle of a pandemic. But beyond that, then there's psychological safety. So do people feel safe speaking up? Do they feel like their opinion is heard, that there's equal amounts of airtime on the team, that one or two people don't dominate? So we need to have safety. Another key element is that people want to work where they're energized. So you know, you think of four, and here's a simple practical thing that we've all probably been a part of, but, you know, if you've ever been on the conference call or a Zoom meeting that goes, now we're into like our 90th minute, and now we're like going up onto two hours and we haven't taken a break and everyone's like sitting in their chair. Like, can we, you know, he's realizing, so, and and, and again, physiologically, we've, the studies have shown that people need breaks every 90 minutes or, or more often, especially with Zoom. So are you as a leader scheduling and and planning for breaks so that people are in a simple thing like that. And also, by the way, when they're taking a break, are they taking a break or are they just taking 10 minutes to check their email that they weren't doing in your meeting, right? Which is not a break. It's just going to something else. So there's a need for safety. There's this need for energy. And then there's the need for purpose, right? Obviously people want to feel like what they're doing makes a difference and matters in the world. So what are you doing as a leader to remind people of the big picture of the why behind the what and the how? And then finally, there's this need for ownership. So what are we doing that we have created a very clear framework for expectations, but within that framework, we're giving people the freedom and autonomy to do things as they see fit because no one likes a micromanager and people want to feel like they can make some decisions and have some creativity and latitude about how this plays out. So safety, energy, ownership, and purpose. Yeah, it's so, so to me- no, I was going to say, for me, those are these core needs. And again, this came out of watching thousands of groups of leaders. It wasn't just like I sat down and wrote these four things. This came out time and time again. I kept seeing this show up. So that's what that's about for me.
0: Well, it's exciting. Uh, as a, a, your book came out in March 2020. Yes. And that was not exactly a great time to go on talking tours, but I bet you're having fun on the podcast tour. And this has been great. I often ask my interviewees to tell the listener two or three things you don't want them to forget, because it's just about wrap-up time. Or we'll have to take a break. <laughs> Some things that are important for the perspective. You've learned this by doing, which I believe is you know, existential, active experiential learning is the best. Yeah. Um, and when you're when I'm working with emerging leaders, I'm fascinated, I had mentioned to you that i have been working at this healthcare system for a year and a half now, and I watched people come in as emerging and they left as achieving. They aren't there yet, we're gonna keep going because part of it is hearing and learning new things and then doing them and coming back and sharing them. And the group was as important to each other, even through COVID as they were on their own solving problems. And so several of them had taken on hospitals, and they were neophytes. By the end of a year, they had become competent. And some had to furlough people and then bring them back. Everybody had to learn new skills in a year. And COVID, thank you very much, did some major growth for people who were emerging leaders that became uh, articulate as leaders, empathetic, compassionate, able to understand the different followers they had, and they had some who are followers who weren't following them anywhere, and others who they had a mobilized. So I watch it as you have. But a couple of things you want them not to forget before I take your final thoughts for you, because it's a very exciting topic to me.
1: Yeah, there's so many wonderful things that people can do. I'd say, like, the top couple of things I would recommend to anyone on this leadership journey number one is actively seek out feedback you know, actively seek out feedback and not just from your friends and the people that are going to tell you the good stuff, especially from the people that are going to tell you the honest, not so pretty truth. And then the key piece with that is, you know, get more than N equals one, right? To get more than one sample size, right? Get uh, numerous people to get a, a wide range. And there's a lot of different ways you can do this formally. You can do it informally, you know, with instruments, All of which to say is then the key is to act on the feedback and let people know, and by the way, let people know that you're working on these things because then they can be your supporter. They actually respond much better if you let them know, hey, I'm working on this questioning. I'm trying to become a better listener and asking better questions. So that is the first thing I do is is this, this, I cannot underestimate the power of of giving and receiving feedback, that is so important. Um, And then the other thing I would say is, you you talked about accountability before is becoming super explicit about what you are agreeing to and what other people are agreeing to. Because if it's explicit, then you can say, did you do it? And it's really a yes or a no. Because, I mean, and we could go into lots of detail, but if you think about what what is accountability, if you think it comes from accounting, right? If you think about a balance sheet, on the one side, you've got income. The other side, you have expenses. They have to balance. And if you think about leadership accountability, it's what do I say I'm going to do? And the other side is, what do I do? So the more you can be explicit about what you say you're going to do, the more you can know that you walk your talk. And I think too many people are in the gray matter and too fuzzy. So I think just being really clear and becoming more conscious and intentional about what you both say yes to, as well as what you say no to. And it's going to make you more effective and also less stressed.
0: Good. I think that's really important. I had one little thing. Um, Judith Glaser passed away last year and her work on conversational intelligence and the WE Institute is important because everything you're talking about is how our brain communicates. Everything is a conversation. So it's communication. You're talking about collaboration, um, the the connections. It's all about life is a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about this, we're talking about WE. And we, does all kinds of good things in the mind, and the brain, that oxytocin comes, you know, and all that bonding happens. But if you're too eye-focused, the old command and control leader, man, that amygdala has a great time producing cortisol. And everybody hears you, rejects it, flees it, fears it, and their minds aren't trusting at all. So trust, which you've mentioned several times, is the essence of how we get things done. So I've got to trust you to lead me in the right direction. And I'll follow you if I believe that to be a good place to go. You're smiling at me.
1: Yeah, no, it's just I am because as you're, I just you're 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 speaking my language here, Andy. You know, just in terms of this, all all these things that you're saying are resonating, and I love the your your turns of phrase and your way of putting the thoughts together. That's why I'm smiling because it's just it's resonating so deeply. So I like to say what you're seeing is a truth response. That's why I'm smiling.
0: (laughs) Well, let me say goodbye to our listeners. It's been absolutely wonderful, Alan. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
0: Now, for those of you who come, I can only thank you for coming often and bringing friends along. Um, I don't know, we have 130,000 monthly listeners, plus or minus a bit. Uh, But it's a time where podcasting is an extremely important way for us to share things that matter. My job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can get off the brink. I want you to soar, but sometimes you have to change. And as you're listening to our conversation, you're picking up ideas that you can actually do. So I urge you to try some of them. If you're an emerging leader or an accomplished leader, you never arrive. So are you communicating well? Are you collaborating well? Are you coordinating with other people? You know the soft skills people talk about? Do they communicate, collaborate, create? And and someone said code too. I don't think you have to code. But it's a great time for you to begin to think about how do I express myself and get people to do things I have to. Remember, a leader is only successful if people follow them. And so you can't do it by yourself. You can sit in your office, but it doesn't work. So today's talk is about all about this code of leadership. Um, If they'd like to read your book, how can they get it?
1: Well, easiest way to find it is if you go to the book website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can learn all about the book. You can actually download the first chapter right there, as well as there's links to being able to buy it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and IndieBound. So you can learn all about that. that also connect you to my website, so you can learn more about the work that I do, which is all around working with either individuals, teams, or organizations under the umbrella of helping people to become better leaders.
0: <laughs> and you have helped me today to help others become a better leader and perhaps even myself. So please stay safe, stay happy, uh, enjoy the journey. Now, our new book, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, is out, and it's there to help you rethink your own life's journey. And I just want to wish you a bon voyage because it's a very interesting time. As you've heard today, you can change the way your mind thinks about who you are and where you're going. If you imagine it, imagine it a lot. Collaborate with your mind and begin to change, and Rethink is all about that. So, as you read, think about your own story and then send it to us at info at so I can share it as well. So I'm going to say goodbye now. Come again. And thank you so much.